0: To the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. We have heard with our ears. O God, our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days, in days of old. You drove out the nations with your hand, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples and cast them out, for they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them. But it was your right hand, your arm and the light of your countenance because you favored them you are my king O god command victories for jacob through you we will push down our enemies through your name we will trample those who rise up against us for i will not trust in my bow nor shall my sword save me but you have saved us from our enemies and have put to shame those who hated us in god we boast all day long and praise your name forever selah but you have cast us off and put us to shame, and you do not go out with our armies. You make us turn back from the enemy, and those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. You have given us up like sheep intended for food, then have scattered us among the nations. You sell your people for next to nothing, and are not enriched by selling them. You make us a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to those all around us. You make us a byword among the nations, a shaking of the head among the peoples. My dishonor is continually before me, and the shame of my face has covered me. Because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles, because of the enemy and the avenger, all this has come upon us. But we have not forgotten you, nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way but you have severely broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death if we had forgotten the name of our god or stretched out our hands to a foreign god would god not search this out for he knows the secrets of the heart yet for your sake we are killed all day long we are accounted as sheep for slaughter awake why do you sleep O lord arise do not cast us off forever why do you hide your face And forget our affliction in our oppression for our soul is bowed down to the dust our body clings to the ground arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake okay we're in Deuteronomy chapter 19 now this is verses 1 through 13 it's entitled you shall prepare to you the way when the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses. You shall separate three cities for yourself in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall prepare roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, that any manslayer may flee there. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there, that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in time past, As when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he shall flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long, and kill him, though he was not deserving of death, since he had not hated the victim in time past. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall separate three cities for yourself. Now if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he swore to your fathers, and gives you the land which he promised to give to your fathers, and if you keep all these commandments and do them which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to walk always in his ways, then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these three. Lest innocent blood be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and thus the guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him, and strikes him mortally, so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die your eyes shall not pity him but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from israel that it may go well with you with the completion of the previous chapters which have dealt greatly with the unity of worship within the land chapters 19 through 21 will put forth legislations that are predominantly intended to reveal the sanctity of human life and how it is to be protected for the passage today What we have here is a supplemental thought to what was especially presented in Numbers 35 concerning the cities of refuge. However, this is much less of a repetition of those verses than it is a call to carry out what was mandated there concerning those cities, both in their establishment and in what was to occur in them regarding manslayers. If we were to look for a close parallel in our society in relation to what they were intended to do in Israel— I would suggest the witness protection program provided by the U S marshals. Obviously the parallel doesn't go very far and there is certainly nothing Christological in nature about the U S marshals, but they do protect people from harm in a unique way. The problem with the witness protection program is that it doesn't just protect the innocent who have gotten caught up in something beyond their control. But they also protect really greasy people who are willing to roll over and give up information in order to save their own skin as far as the innocent of israel who accidentally kills someone and who thus becomes a target for the avenger there is protection for them behind the walls of the city of refuge for the innocent in america who is inadvertently caught up in some type of crime to which they could be hunted down for They are hidden behind the walls of a new identity in a new place by the U S marshals. For sure. We don't want to stretch that analogy too far, but you get the point. Someone has had time and circumstance negatively affect his life and a provision is made to bring about safety for that person. In the end, I'd much rather be hidden in Christ than hidden by the bungling United States government. Our text verse comes from Hebrews six. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. The Christological significance of the city of refuge has already been seen in Numbers 35. The words today are intended to build upon that passage, but it doesn't introduce a great deal of typology. Rather, as I said, it is given as a call to action by Moses for that which has already been presented by the Lord. It is hoped that the words will bless you, be instructional to you, and build you up in your knowledge of the word. One of the key verses to consider when we get there contains the words of admonition to Israel to love the Lord your God and to walk always in his ways the law has been given christ fulfilled that for us but the precept remains true for us today the highest precept for us to consider in our daily life is that of loving the lord god consider this what good is it to cross every t and to dot every i if we don't have a deep and yearning love for the lord as far as the fulfillment and embodiment of this body of law Let us remember to love him with all of our hearts and souls. With this, we will always remain in the sweet spot. Great truths such as this are to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got three separate thoughts for you today. The first is, you shall separate three cities for yourself. It's verses one through three. Verse 1, when the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses. There are a couple of points concerning these words that immediately take prominence. The first is, once again, the surety of them. The verse begins with ki yachrit, for has cut off. Translating it as when is fine, but it is to be taken as an absolute surety. And already accomplished in the mind of the Lord. The second concerns the words Asher Yehovah Elohecha Noten Lecha or which Yehovah your God is giving to you. It is the fulfillment of the ancient promise and it is from the Lord to the people. There is nothing deserving in this generation. They are simply the ones alive when the promise comes into effect. The third point is one also seen many times. Moses says, and you dispossess them. The Lord is giving Israel the land. They could not otherwise possess it. And yet Israel has a synchronistic, that means working together, part in acquiring the land. They must actually get up and act, working together with the Lord to possess the inheritance. And finally, it says, they will dwell in their cities and in their houses. This goes back to Moses' words of chapter 6. He said there, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. From the house of bondage, Israel will benefit from the labor of others. The Lord has made every accommodation for them prior to and during their taking of the land. When this is accomplished, verse 2, you shall separate three cities for yourself. Moses' words now are reminding the people of the command of the Lord from Numbers 35. At that time, it said, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. Further, Moses has already designated the first three cities of refuge by name in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Then Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan, meaning the east side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, that the manslayer might flee there, who kills his neighbor unintentionally, without having hated him in time past, and that by fleeing to one of these cities, he might live. Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau for the Reubenites, Ramot in Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan in the Bashan for the Manassites. Those cities named in chapter 4 are the cities of refuge east of the Jordan in the land already taken by Israel. Moses is now giving further instruction for the land west of the Jordan. The actual naming of them will only occur in Joshua chapter 20. These cities are to be, verse 2 continues, in the midst of your land. The prominence of the words is given to ensure that, due to the highly important nature of their designation, the cities are to be chosen specifically for their accessibility from all directions. And again, Moses notes that it is a land, verse 2 continues, which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. The constant repetition of these words may seem mentally tedious to read as one goes through Deuteronomy. He says them again and again and again. But when the law was given, it was referred to in bite-sized nuggets as a tool of instruction for the people. They would have a matter to deal with, and they would proceed to whatever section dealt with that matter. In doing so, the words would be a constant reminder that the land was given to them. Thus, it is also a warning. The land can be taken from them. Hence, the law in all its detail was to be strictly tended to. Verse 3, you shall prepare roads for yourself. The words are singular for a strong effect. Takin lecha you shall prepare to you the way. Israel is the subject. The way is the means of travel, and the city is the intended destination. It is to be readily available for the one who needs to reach it. Herxheimer says, according to tradition, the way must be level, 32 cubits broad and marked by finger posts bearing the words refuge, refuge. Other traditions say that the roads were inspected annually in the month of Adar, that any obstructions were removed, and any bridges would be repaired for quick access over rivers and brooks. If these precepts of the Torah, meaning what Moses is saying, were adhered to by Israel as unfaithfully as the rest of them, it is doubtful if this tradition was, for most of their history, anything but on paper. There is nothing in Scripture to support any such tradition. As far as the words of this clause, however, they are reminiscent of Jesus' words, I am the way. There is a place of safety, and there is the way prepared to reach that place. For Israel and Canaan, Moses next says, verse 3 going on, and divide into three parts the territory of your land. The cities were to be strategically situated so that they were prominent, easily accessible, and placed as much as possible at equal distances from one another and from the exterior borders of the land. In this, no matter what direction one would travel to such a city, it would be at the closest possible point from even the furthest distance. The precept is to be exactingly adhered to because it is in the land, verse 3 continues, here it comes again, which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. The word nachal or inherit is used. One inherits an inheritance. In this, the inheritance is being equally divided for the benefit of all. All as this is land given by the Lord your God, one can see the same fairness as in concepts such as the Shemitah, meaning the remission, or of the Hebrew slave. The Lord through Moses and through the law has made provisions for all in order to bring all to a state of equality. This is no different now. There is an overarching fairness in all that is presented so that when time and circumstance work against a person, restoration is always made available in this case it is so verse 3 continues that any manslayer may flee there and shall be to flee there all manslayer the word needs to be re-explained it signifies unsanctioned killing it does not cover capital punishment it does not cover sanctioned killing in battle and so on rather it covers any killing any killing accidental Or purposeful that is unsanctioned. From there, and only from that standpoint, is there a difference made between accidental killing and murder. But both are on the same level until the determination is made. This then is the purpose of the are miklat, or cities of refuge. Though the term miklat, or asylum, is not used in Deuteronomy, this is the precept that is being conveyed right here. The cities to be appointed are for exactly that reason as Moses will next say in what is a parenthetical thought. Where can I go to save my life? How can I get free from what I have done? I killed a man, but not by strife. In innocence, I have slain this one. But the avenger of blood waits for me to take my life for what I have done. Is there a place to where I can flee? Is there a place to where I can run? Who will save me from what has come about? Who can rescue me from what I have done? Is there a chance for me? How will it come about lord my only hope is that to you i run our second thought today is since he has not hated the victim it's verses four through seven verse four and this is the case of the manslayer and this word the manslayer it is the specific instruction the word to be issued concerning someone who kills another in an unsanctioned manner regardless as to the circumstances His life is in jeopardy, and he must take action. Verse 4 continues, who flees there that he may live. The word here is very clearly explained in verse 11. The city of refuge was for the manslayer to run to. Any manslayer could do so, but there are different provisions for how the killing occurred, which will be re-explained by Moses following after what has already been spoken forth in Numbers 35. Once again, before I go on, a manslayer is anybody that has killed somebody in an unsanctioned manner. Okay. Unsanctioned manner. It can be intentional. It can be unintentional. They are at jeopardy and the cities of refuge are for any to flee to until after a trial is held. Okay. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are. The Avenger of Blood in Israel had the right to kill anybody that killed one of their family members for any reason at all. He was sanctioned to do that. Everybody got that. It doesn't matter to him if it was murder or if it was an accident he has the right to do that so for right now that's all we're dealing with okay as moses next says verse 4 continues whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally which strikes his neighbor lacking knowledge in numbers 35 it used a different term in his inadvertence here the meaning is the same even if the terminology is different the person accidentally or without knowledge has killed another person. There was nothing premeditated about it. As it says, verse 4 continues, not having hated him in time past. Despite the English translation, it is an exact repeat of Deuteronomy 4 verse 42, which said, without having hated him in time past. The two phrases are identical in the Hebrew with but two unusual exceptions. Why do I know? Because I always put these verses side by side and I look at them and I count out the letters to see if there's anything going on. In verse 442, the Hebrew says, they are spelled differently there than they are here. In both, the letter Vav is included in 442, but it is missing now. It could be as simple as spelling the word worshiped with one or two Ps, which we do in the English language, or there may be a reason that the Lord purposefully dropped the additional letter out now. If the latter, and I'm just supposing here, I can only provide a speculative suggestion. Vav is the sixth letter of the Hebrew aliphate. Six is the number of man, especially fallen man. It is 5 plus 1, or grace plus man's addition to it. It is 7 minus 1, or coming short of spiritual perfection. The cities are given as a haven for such. They are a place of grace for those who fall short, but who seek refuge. The cities themselves do not save. They only protect, and they only do so by the voluntary act of the man staying in them. At the time of Deuteronomy 4, only three cities were mentioned— Thus, the addition of the Vav, the sixth letter of the Aleph Bet, was included to show the fallen state of this otherwise innocent man. In this passage, there is no need for that because the cities now total six, implying that there is a need for them in all of Israel, because all fall short of perfection. Now, that's a highly speculative analysis, but it is the only logical thing that I could think of. So I would suggest that you not add a permanent squiggle to your brain over what I just gave you. But that is what I think is going on. Because when the Lord spells words differently, there is a reason. If you don't believe that, go back and watch all of the counting of the people. I think it was in uh, Numbers chapter 7. They go through, I think it's 150 billion verses, and every 25 of them say exactly the same thing again and again and again with one word, with one vav, different in all of them. And it told us why the Lord went through all of that information. So pay attention when you see these things in scripture, but I'm just speculating on this. Please don't go quoting it and saying, this is what it means. You can say, I've heard this and it could possibly mean that and I'll feel good about it. Okay. Verse five, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber, Moses gives a common example of something that could occur that would make a person a manslayer, but not guilty of murder. The example is that of two people, friendly with one another, not having hated in the past, and going out to do what neighbors do in a place where it is expected that they would go. In this clause is a new word to scripture, katav, meaning to cut down, to hew, or to polish. It can even mean gather, as it is used in Ezekiel 39 verse 10. The men are simply going out to cut timber. Verse 5 continues, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree. Again, Moses is giving out thoughts as they would occur on any given day and between any friends as they are out working together. It is during the daily affairs of life that suddenly something unexpected happens. Verse 5 continues, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. The verb is used intransitively, and the Hebrew is more expressive, saying, V'nashah barzel min ha and slips the iron from the wood. The intent of hitting with an axe is that you will cut the wood. The iron part slipping off the wood is purely accidental, but the effects of it are catastrophic, killing the neighbor. What is interesting about this verse to me is that like in Numbers 35, and even before entering the land, Moses speaks of the use of iron implements as if it is an everyday thing. Common teaching says that the Egyptians began their iron age about 1200 B.C., The same is the case with Canaan, which would have been during the time of the Judges. And yet Moses speaks of things being this way in the year 1405 BC. Even if iron implements were rare at this time, it is obvious that they were the preferred instruments for cutting wood at this early date. Also, throughout Joshua and the early Judges, iron is explicitly mentioned as being in use. Despite the matter, it is certain, as it always becomes, that Moses is indeed the one who penned these words. Deuteronomy was written at the time, indicated as will be seen once again in a few verses. The reason why I say that is because people argue that because iron is used and the Iron Age actually came later, that this can't be written by Moses. How stupid. And guess what? I was watching a show on uh, iron just a while ago, and they have actually predating this account, a pharaoh that had an iron hatchet. And it was because it was made out of meteorite iron instead of smelted iron. Okay, so they knew about iron. They used iron. Once again, the Bible is vindicated. In the comparable verses to this clause in Numbers 35, the Lord gave different examples of what might cause an unintentional but unsanctioned death, saying... However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity, or throws anything at him without lying in wait, or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm. It is of note that Moses chose a different example, showing that the judges were to carefully heed the details of whatever matter was brought forth. It is a way of saying, the Lord has given you several examples, I have given you another, be wise in discerning and judge the matters according to their circumstances. In the meantime, and until a judgment is rendered, verse 5 continues, he shall flee to one of these cities and live. This is the purpose of the city, refuge. But without knowing the details of Numbers 35, it doesn't really make sense to us now. Instead, what Moses says is simply taken as an axiom that the man needs to flee to one of the designated cities. This is because of a particular relationship that existed in the society. Verse 6, lest the avenger of blood. Here it comes. This is where the difference comes in. Is it a murder or is it a accident? Okay, the parenthetical thought is ended and the narrative picks up here. One can see this by putting verse 3 before verse 6, which I'm going to do. I'm not trying to change the word of God. I'm just showing you the flow, that the verses we just saw are parenthetical. So here we go. You shall prepare roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, that any manslayer may flee there. Verse 6, lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him because the way is long, and kill him, though he was not deserving of death, since he has not hated the victim in time past. Everybody see how well that flows? The other thoughts are obviously parenthetical. The Goel Haddam, or Avenger the Blood, is a near or nearest kinsman. The same word is used to speak of a redeemer, an avenger, and a kinsman. In this, it refers to a kinsman who is the redeemer of blood through avenging the death of his close relative. If this Goel was to catch the slayer and kill him, even if he was innocent, the slayer, if he was to catch him and kill him, no guilt of blood could be imputed to him, even if the slaying was by accident. He, bes- he possessed the full right to avenge the blood that was shed without sanction. This is the entire purpose of having these sanctuary cities. It is a means of protection for the slayer until he could get a fair trial, as it next says, and speaking of the Goel, verse 6 continues, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him. The law understands the passions of such matters. A person has a right to take the life of the slayer, and he has a right to do so at any time or place except as forbidden by the law. His anger may subside, and he may, though not necessarily, forego his right as a go-el, but when his anger is up, it is not likely. Even if presented with a convincing argument, the chances are that he will still take vengeance. As this is so, the cities of refuge have been provided with a special note of their centrality within the land, otherwise, verse 6, because the way is long, and kill him. Ki haderek ve hikahu, nafesh, for great the way and strike him soul. It is a descriptive way of saying that he has avenged the blood. As the blood is the soul, that's in Deuteronomy 12, verse 23, the avenger has struck the person and his soul is poured out. If the only place of refuge was where the tabernacle or temple was located, it might be a long and tiring journey. The longer the distance, the more likely the avenger could catch up to the slayer. In such a case, his life could legally be taken. Verse 6 continues, though he was not deserving of death since he had not hated the victim in time past. The matter of avenging blood is one that covers any shedding of a blood of a near kinsman. This is a right that will not be denied apart from the exception of being in a city of refuge or at any time and anywhere after the death of the high priest. Other than those two instances, the right exists. However, there is the truth that the killing was unintentional. There was no enmity, and it was unavoidable. In this, the Hebrew essentially reads, though he is without a judgment of death, there is nothing in him that calls out for capital punishment. It is for this reason that the cities of refuge are given. It is a merciful exception provided by the manslayer, as Moses next says, verse 7, therefore I command you, saying... The Hebrew reads, upon thus, I command you. It is the same phrase that was used in Deuteronomy 15, verse 11. There is a state that exists, whether it is right or not. That's irrelevant. It is simply something that is a part of the human condition. It is upon such a matter that an act of mercy is to then be extended. In Deuteronomy 15, it referred to attending to the needy, meaning the poor in the land. Here it refers to taking care of the needy, meaning those desperate of life itself. Because of this condition, because it exists, and because it can be remedied through an act of mercy, verse 7 continues, you shall separate three cities for yourself. Moses repeats the original precept from verse 2. It is for the sake of those who are under the culturally accepted sentence of the avenger's hand despite having no judgment of death hanging over them, that Moses instructs them to accomplish the words of this command. Do not defile the land in which you live, for among the midst of you there I dwell. To you the blessings of heaven I will give, or from me will come the tortures of eternal hell. For I dwell among you, even I the Lord. Therefore be holy, as I am holy, this you must be. In this you will receive my promised reward, And there shall be peace between you and me. Do not profane the land, but keep it pure and undefiled. And between us there will be a state of harmony. In this upon you I shall have smiled, and together we shall dwell for all eternity. Our third thought today, lest innocent blood be shed. Verses 8 through 13. Now if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he swore to your fathers, and gives you the land which he promised to give to your fathers. The words here now refer to neither Canaan nor the land already possessed east of the Jordan. Rather, they refer to the extension of land promised before to Abraham. That's from Genesis 15. To your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. It was a command repeated to the people before leaving Sinai, that's in Exodus 23:31, and also repeated to them when they left Egypt. Here it says, turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains and in the lowland, in the south and on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them and their descendants after them. Of these words, the Bible commentary via John Lang states, It is obvious that such a passage as this could not have been penned in the times to which rational critics assign Deuteronomy, meaning much, much later. No one living in those times would think of treating as a future contingency if the Lord thy God enlarge, an extension of territory which at the date in question had in fact taken place long ago and been subsequently forfeited. The analysis is correct. As has been seen numerous times, those who argue for various reasons that Deuteronomy must have been penned many, many centuries later fail to consider how ridiculous their claims actually are. For now, the word if is a conditional one. The promise was made to the fathers, but it is conditional towards the people. This conditional aspect is seen again in the next verse, verse 9. And if you keep all these commandments and do them, which I command you today. Following hard after the errors of the King James Version, the words here are incorrectly translated. The previous verse began with and if. Here it begins with for or when. Secondly, the word commandment is singular. The clause should read when you keep all the commandment and do it. It is a time conditional statement. Until that day the event will not come about. And that is verse 9 continues to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways. The clause is close in thought to 10:12 and 11:22. Moses ties in the love of the Lord and walking in his ways as being obedient to the commandment. These words define what it means to be obedient. It goes beyond rote observance to the very heart of man. David loved the Lord. Can anybody argue against that? He loved the Lord and he strove to walk in his ways even if at times, which he did, he failed in observing a statute or a precept of the law. He slept with somebody else's wife. He made a a census that he shouldn't have done, etc. But he loved the Lord, and that was greater than the sins he committed. The Pharisees meticulously kept every precept of the law, but they failed in the greater and more important precepts implicitly laid down there. David found joy in the presence of the Lord. The Pharisees will find eternal condemnation. It is only if Israel is united to the Lord in heartfelt love and in obedience to the command that the next words would take effect. Verse 9 continues, Then you shall add three more cities for yourselves besides these three. Scholars err when they say this was fulfilled in Joshua 21, when the six cities of refuge are named. This is not referring to those east of the Jordan that were already assigned and which are repeated in Joshua. Rather, this is a reference to three additional cities in borders extending all the way to the Euphrates. It is a hopeful and conditional event that was never realized in Israel's history. Now, during the time of Solomon, the borders did extend that far, but it never says anything about three additional cities. That's what I'm talking about here, okay? However, If it was needed due to expansion of the borders, the reason is obvious. Verse 10, lest innocent blood be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and thus guilt of bloodshed be upon you. The words here have to be considered with care. It has already been seen in Numbers 35 verse 27 that the Goel had the right and indeed the responsibility to kill the manslayer if he left the city of refuge as this is so it cannot be that he would be guilty of bloodshed for taking the life of the manslayer in this passage so what you're reading right now is not talking about the goel killing this person when he leaves the city of refuge that is not what this is talking about further in that verse it speaks in the singular "en lo dam," without to him blood meaning the guilt of blood However, it says here, while speaking to Israel, the people, Ve damim, and it shall be upon you, bloods. The blood guilt is not because the avenger avenged his kin, but because Israel failed to build a city to protect the manslayer who killed unintentionally. The failure is one that incurs collective guilt upon the people. Does everybody see that? Okay. Okay. Israel has a responsibility to build these cities. If somebody is running and they failed to build a city, then Israel is guilty of that man's blood. The avenger of blood is not guilty because he took his right to kill that person that even accidentally killed his father, we'll say. Israel is guilty because they failed to put a city close enough for that person to flee to. That is what this is speaking about. It is their responsibility collectively to protect innocent blood, even if it is the individual avenger's responsibility to avenge the blood of his kin. This is why the plural, bloods, damim, is used. It goes beyond a single incident to any and every incident that would arise. This is why Joshua 11 ends with the note that the land rested from war. After that, An accounting of the kings conquered in battle is noted in chapter 12, and then a short note of what was still needed to be conquered is seen at the opening of chapter 13. All necessary things, okay? From there, the land is divided among the tribes, comprising all of the next passages until Joshua chapter 20. All necessary things, where the very next thing that is recorded is the designation of the cities of refuge. In other words, the designation of these cities is of paramount importance to the overall narrative. However, this blood guilt only applies to those who are innocent. Verse 11, but if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him and strikes him mortally so that he dies. The words here correspond to Numbers 35, 16 through 21. This person's ratsach, or unsanctioned killing, is intentional. The obvious verdict, then, is that he is a murderer. The tenor of these words anticipates the words of John. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The hatred leads to the act, but it is actually the hatred that God sees and judges. The act is simply an outgrowth of what is already in the human heart. If such a person followed through with his hatred and committed the act, verse 11 continues, and he flees to one of these cities, the city of refuge is to protect the innocent manslayer. If the manslayer is deemed to be a murderer, then it is a completely different situation, and it calls for a completely different outcome. Verse 12, then the elders of his city shall send him, bring him from there, and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. The words here further refine what was said about such a person in Numbers 35. There it simply notes that the person shall be put to death when the avenger meets him. Here, it is assumed that the person made it to a city of refuge, made a false claim, and is now being returned for his trip to the afterlife, which is to be at the hand of the avenger. Not only is this the right of the avenger, but it is also the responsibility of the people. No murderer was to be allowed to live. Rather, verse 13, your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel. There was to be no leniency. Rather, the word translated as put away comes from a root meaning to kindle. It is as if he is to be purged in the fire. And there is a reason for this. Verse 13 finishes with these words, that it may go well with you. The implication is that if this is not done, it will not go well with them. The innocent is to be protected and the guilty is to be purged from the land. Otherwise, guilt would be imputed to the nation for failing to uphold the precepts of the law. The passage that has been looked at today actually has incredible Christological significance, which is explained in detail in three sermons from Numbers 35. The words are amazing to consider and moving, even to the stirring of the soul. If you haven't seen or heard those sermons, it is well worth your time to go back and take them in. Everything about what is stated there is reflective of the work of Jesus Christ, all of which is summed up in the third sermon where it discusses the role of the high priest in relation to those who remain within the city of refuge. In short, Christ is our place of refuge. In him is found protection from the guilt we bear, and in his death we have been set free from that guilt. It can never be recalled to us again. If we simply reach out to him in faith, believing that he is God's offer of pardon and peace for the things we have done wrong, and that's the only occasion that it can be, it is this wonderful offer of peace, meaning our Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of God for those who will believe, who ushers in that state of pardon, and that in turn results in the peace, even the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. I would pray that you would be wise. Call out to God through Christ the Lord and be cleansed of your life of sin. In this, you will move from a state of enmity with God to one of eternal felicity. The place of refuge is offered. Then the sentence is, if you will receive it, not guilty. Christ has paid the price for you to be set free. Enter the city of refuge. Christ awaits. Okay, I said earlier, I quoted earlier John, where he says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. How many of you have hated somebody in the past? Anybody? The hands are coming up slowly, but they're coming up. Okay, we've all hated somebody. And that means that we cannot have eternal life in us unless we come to the city of refuge. And when we do, we are no longer imputed sin. God judges every single action of the human. He judges our original sin and he deems us guilty. Guilty as charged. You were born of Adam and you are guilty. He judges the hatred of the human heart. Guilty. He judges when we lie. Guilty. And not only when we lie, guess what? One lie breaks the whole command. It's not that you, I've lied, but I haven't killed somebody. When you break one command, you've broken the whole command. It's one codified body of law. And if you've hated your brother, you're guilty. And all stand guilty before a holy God because we've all done those things. Even if we haven't actually gone out and killed somebody and hidden them deep in the sand, we still hated them. And the Lord says that we are guilty. So we have this judgment hanging over our heads, every single one of us. And without Jesus Christ, we will be condemned. It's a scary thought to fall into the hands of the living God. And may it not be so for the people that are listening to this right now. I would pray that you would come to Christ and have your sins cleansed. If you don't, you're going to continue to be guilty all the rest of your life. And during that time, you're going to also heap up more sins and there's going to be greater judgment against you because you've heard the gospel. So please call on Jesus Christ. Be freed from your sin debt. Be cleansed by the blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary. This is what I would ask you to do today. Please. Our closing verse comes from Psalm 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. He is a place of refuge for us if we will simply come to him. Next week is Deuteronomy 19, 14 through 21. This guy really is a mess. It's entitled The False Witness. That'll be your 58th Deuteronomy sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. But he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay. All right. I got a poem for you. It's 13 verses long, so it'll take until six tonight. But before we do that, I know usually I do four or five, six verses. And so it gets a little long and okay. I got a question for you. Do I, I, you know what, today, um, oh, we still have two pins from um, Alana. So uh, we'll give a pin today. And uh, let's see here. In Acts 9, there is a lady named Tabitha. That is an Aramaic name. What is her name in Greek? Hey, hey, that was fast. I didn't even finish it. You scared me it was so fast. Okay, that's correct. Tabitha and Dorcas. Now a bonus for you. Well, that's true. I wasn't going to ask that. She even, she preempted me by saying what her, what her job was. But here's the bonus question. What does Tabitha or Dorcas mean? Because I call people Dorcas all the time. Oh, shut up, Dorcas. You know, do you know what it means? Anybody? It means gazelle. Gazelle in both languages. Aramaic. It's not a Hebrew name. It's an Aramaic name, Tabitha. It means gazelle and Dorcas. Hey, Dorcas. So I'm actually being nice to that person. When I thought I was being mean, I'm being nice. Hey, gazelle. Okay, you get a pin today. Wow, that was, you got that out so quick. It actually, I was like, oh, I was not prepared for it. Okay, you shall prepare to you the way. When the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, as you will do, You shall separate three cities for yourself, in the midst of the land as to you I now address, which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall prepare roads for yourself, and divide into three parts the territory of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, that any manslayer may flee there from the avenger's hand. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there, that he may live and not be harassed. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in time past, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber, not just to sightsee, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He shall flee to one of these cities and live, as to you I apprise. Lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him as he is tasked. Because the way is long and kill him, though he was not deserving of death, since he had not hated the victim in time past. Therefore, I command you saying for these pities, you shall separate for yourself three cities. Now, if the Lord, your God enlarges your territory as to your fathers, he swore and gives you the land, which he promised to give to your fathers, this and more. And if you keep all these commandments and do them, which I command you today to love the Lord, your God, and to walk always in his ways. Then you shall add three more cities for yourself, besides these three, as to you I now say. Lest innocent blood be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God, just as he said, is giving you as an inheritance, and thus upon you be the guilt of bloodshed. But if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him, and strikes him mortally, so that he dies, and he flees to one of these cities, if such shall be, Then the elders of his city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die, that guy shall be purged from the land. Your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that it may go well with you because of the blood that was spilt. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be Faithful and true, then we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and Amen. Heavenly Father, we certainly thank you for the place of refuge that we can flee to, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for providing this way for us. It's a wonderful thing to consider that. We are the ones that strayed from you. We are the ones that rebel against you. And yet you sent Christ to die for us. What a great God you are to do this for us. And we thank you and we praise you forever and ever for the gift, the gift of life that is given to us by faith in what he did for us. And so we praise you for it and we thank you for it for all eternity. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Somebody emailed me some questions about a sermon they heard this week and one of the questions was they wanted to know if it was correct or not is that uh, you know the pastor said we're going to remember our we're going to remember who we are when we go to heaven and they were questioning is that true or not because I've heard actually people say oh no you're not going to have any memory of your past that'll all be behind you and I said I cannot imagine that I can't imagine even thinking that we're going to be praising God what would we praise him for if we don't know what we're praising him for and secondly, I don't ever want to forget where I came from, ever. That's what keeps me in the pulpit every week, is remembering who I used to be. So keep that in mind. Is that if somebody says something like that, it's it's not correct. We're certainly going to have a memory of everything. Now, we will have no more tears. That's pretty wonderful. He says, Well, he actually doesn't even say it. He says he will wipe away all our tears. So I want to be precise with that as well. But we need to remember that we... We'll remember. That was kind of funny. We need to remember that we'll remember. Anyway, um, I don't know if she's still awake, but we got somebody over in Thailand who's on day, I, I typed her something this morning. I think it's day seven of 15 days of lockdown. If you're watching right now, we are all praying for you, and we all love you and miss you. Okay? If you're asleep, we're sorry about that. But anyway, if you're awake, I'm just trying to cheer her up because she's been watching the paint peel. And she's counting the number of holes in the roof just to stay sane. Um, I don't know if I have permission to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. We emailed this morning to ask, what is it like? Can you go out at all? Are you monitored? Yes, she's in a place where she is monitored, and they wear chemical suits in to deliver food, and then she can open the door and get food from outside into her room. And that is all the contact that she has for 15 days. Thank God that she knows Jesus Christ, because she's got intimate contact with him all day long okay otherwise I don't know what I would do I'd be beside myself